0: Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning everyone in the United States, in Canada, and whatever time zones you are in around the world. This is uh, Kennard, Levi, or Levi Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. For those who are listening to me for the first time, this program is a program for people who are seeking the truth, who want to know what the truth is. And the Bible plainly reveals to you what the truth is. You need to turn to Psalms, Psalms 119, Psalms 119 and verse 142 and I will tell you what or God will tell you all I'm doing is just reading you what he inspired other people to write. Psalm 119, verse 142. Plainly, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law, which should be translated Torah, that's the original Hebrew for it, that means the instructions and, and doctrines and teachings of God, which, of co- in course, includes His law. Thy law is the truth. And then, later on, Jesus, or his Hebrew name, Yeshua, when he spoke to his Father, in John 17, verse 17, he stated the following. Let's turn there. John 17, verse 17. John 17, verse 17. He stated plainly, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word, the Father's word, is truth. Now, this program will be very interesting. I want you to pay attention because there has been a great deception around the world about the nature of God. I was going to talk about that last week, but the Holy Spirit uh, led me to speak about something else, about uh, listening to truth, even if it's from someone who uh, has a bad reputation and so forth. But ultimately, that Bible study was about helping you to understand what Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 reveals that there's not a just man on the earth that does not sin okay so that's why i wanted to go over that and it doesn't mean that a person couldn't get to a point where they wouldn't sin it's just that just men they do sin you know as they try to overcome this world as they learn how to not sin they will sin that's what that's talking about all right so and if someone sins and if they change uh that doesn't mean that uh, you you shouldn't listen to any teachings that they teach that are correct even if they're continuing to sin you know if a turtle (laughs) told me some truth I'm going to listen to it remember uh, God allowed a donkey to talk right Prophet Balaam right so if he can do that he certainly can make sure that someone who has a bad reputation uh, can still teach some truth so let's Let's understand that. Anyway, um, this program will be interesting. We're going to examine the nature of God. The first, what I'm going to do is go over some some world news here, um, in particular what's going on in Jerusalem. And the website that I go to, those who are familiar With what I do here, I go to watch.org, W-A-T-C-H.org, World Watch Daily, Koenig International News. He does an excellent job of keeping us up to date with what's going on in the hottest city in the world as far as uh, all kinds of (laughs) interesting or uh, sometimes irritating, well, more than likely irritating uh, negotiations. Um, Netanyahu to UN's, the United Nations ban, Abbas must end Hamas pact. Says Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu spoke to U.N. Secretary General Ban Ki-moon over the weekend explaining the need for the IDFs that's the Israeli Defense Force's large operation to eradicate Hamas infrastructure in the West Bank. The West Bank, that's Judea and Samaria, biblically. A statement from his office said Saturday, Netanyahu told Ban, uh, I quote, that the information in Israel's hands unequivocally indicates that Hamas is responsible for the abduction of the youths adding that his needs to be expressed in actions on the ground, end of quote, the PMO statement said. Netanyahu stressed that the goal of the operation is to find the three abducted teens and that, therefore, security forces are focusing on Hamas. The reason why I want to focus on Jerusalem, folks, because everything will begin there, this world trouble will begin there and will end there. Um, Zechariah chapter 12 proves that. Verse 1, Zechariah 12, verse 1, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, says the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. So we have a spirit, and we'll have a program explaining that in the future. Anyway, verse 2, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Verse And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. So this is a specific day that this will happen. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. That is a warning for anyone that is burdening, burdening themselves with Jerusalem as I'm speaking right now. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. The United Nations is against Israel, folks, or what the world thinks is Israel. All right? That's another Bible study. But anyway, and in verse 4 he says, In that day, says the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness, and I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah, and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And that's what the little land that they call Israel today is basically consists of the house of Judah, Levi, and Benjamin. And it says, And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength and the Lord of hosts their God. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheath, and they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. Anyway, this is an interesting prophecy. You can read the rest of it at your leisure, but I just wanted to make a point that Jerusalem really, is it is the center of the world. It's going to be the start of all this world trouble and the end of it, because Yeshua is going to come back. Jesus will come back with the saints and all the angels in rule from Jerusalem and bring a beautiful world, a peaceful world, finally. So, let's look at some domestic news here. And when I do, I go to the uh, Economic Collapse blog. Collapse blog. It's a very, very, very good uh, informational tool for anyone to, to understand what the real news is. Uh, the economic collapse uh, his subheading here he says, "Are you prepared for the coming economic collapse?" and this blog will help you the economic collapse blog dot com in uh, his menu he has uh, information on getting gold coins That's real money, silver coins, emergency food, uh, military surplus preppers. he has a book, everything. And so we need to be preparing, folks. Um, again, I, I'm going to warn you every week on this program to the best of my ability, but we need to even FEMA, our, our governmental uh, department that uh, encourages, tries to, tries to encourage people to prepare for any catastrophe. Well, you should be preparing for any catastrophe, and of course the greatest catastrophe that will ever happen on this earth called the Great Tribulation. You should be preparing for that as well. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22 Verse 3, it says, a prudent man foresees the evil. He foresees the evil. What does the foresees mean in Hebrew? It means raha And it means literally or figuratively consider, to discern, to gaze, to take heed, to view, to stare. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. What's the Hebrew for that? Sothar. It means to conceal. It says, but the simple, and what does simple mean in Hebrew? Pathé. And it means silly. People that are silly, foolish. They pass on and are punished. What does that mean in Hebrew? Anash. And it means to be inflicted. Okay? And so we, we need to follow this advice in the book of Proverbs. And when we know... We hear from somebody that, that is telling us something that's true that can affect our family, we need to, to do all we can to protect our family. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse seven, remember uh, Yeshua stated that these are the days of Noah and Lot. but let let's focus on the days of Noah here in Hebrews 11 verse seven, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet as prophecy, but what did he do? Noah moved with fear not cowardly fear, but righteous fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house or his family by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, Scripture is significant because in Luke, let's turn to Luke, Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 26, it says, as Luke 17, verse 26, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Verse 27, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, similarly or likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it the same day that Lot went out of Sodom. It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, even thus shall it be in the day when a son of man is revealed. And then he states in verse 21, uh, 31 rather, and that day he which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Okay, so what happened in the days of Lot? I was doing a Bible study with uh, the assembly or church I assembled with um, in the area here, the local area. And uh, I was given a Bible study on the significance of understanding uh, Sodom. And, you know, Sodom is very significant because, um, hold your place here in Luke, I want to turn to another scripture to prove my point. So, in uh, in Jude here, actually we're going to read 2 Peter 2, verse 6, and then Jude, because so I want you to understand this. Um, starting Second Peter chapter two, verse four, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved to judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth, a preacher of righteousness. so that 's what Noah did. He preached about the Torah, the, the laws of God, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, verse six, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Condemn with an overflow, or overthrow rather, making an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And so, Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of what would happen to those who live ungodly. Uh, let's turn to Jude 1, verse 7. It says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh as angelic flesh are set for for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Eternal fire. And that's interesting because eternal, in that verse, uh, you, you know the fire won't be continuously burning forever because uh, when there's a new heavens and new earth, uh you need to understand the scriptures state plainly that the lake of fire is the second death. Well, he states in the new heavens and new earth there will no longer be any death, so obviously the lake of fire won't exist anymore in the new heavens and new earth. But anyway, that's another Bible study. But Sodom and Gomorrah is a symbol of the destruction of the ungodly. That's the point I'm trying to make. Okay, so so we understand that. And I want to go back to reading this article here. Uh, It states, uh, in the economic collapse, Uh, the headline, I'm going to read a little bit, and then you can read the rest. Uh, The subheading here says, Inflation. Only if you look at food, water, gas, electricity, and everything else have you noticed that prices are going up rapidly. If so, you are certainly not alone. But Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen, the Obama administration, and the mainstream media would have us believe that inflation is completely under control and exactly where it should be. Perhaps if the highly manipulated numbers that they quotas were real, everything would be fine. But, of course, the way that the inflation rate is calculated has been changed more than 20 times since the 1970s, and at this point it bears so little relation to reality that it is essentially meaningless or vain. Anyone that has to regularly pay for food, water, gas, electricity, or anything else knows that inflation is too high. In fact, if inflation was calculated the same way that it was back in 1980, the inflation rate would be close to 10% right now. So anyway, uh, I'm not going to read any more of that because I have to get into my Bible study here about the nature of God. But uh, I encourage you to go ahead, I implore you to go ahead and read this article and read the other articles here, 25 Shocking Facts About the Earth's Dwelling Water Resources, The Death of the Rust Belt, uh, The United States of Debt, total debt in America hits a new record high of nearly $60 trillion. Australia seizes $360 million from the dormant bank accounts, and all 50 U.S. states are doing this, too. Twelve numbers about the global financial Ponzi scheme that should be burned into your brain. Russia is doing it. Russia is actually abandoning the dollar. Fifteen quotes from our founding fathers about economics, capitalism, and banking. So this is a very, very good blog that you should review. And study to our Bible study, this Bible study will hopefully shed some light on those who are confused about who God is uh there's people in the messianic groups that are confusing people teaching them incorrectly about who god is uh and I, and I hope those that are listening to this program they are humble enough to correct themselves and teach who God is correctly. Um, I have studied the Bible for many years, and, you know, I'm not infallible with it, but uh, I know enough of it to teach it correctly, ladies and gentlemen, as you'll see. And I certainly understand who God is. Uh, it's revealed in the Bible, for those who want to know. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 3, plainly states this. Life eternal. So if you want to know what eternal life It's all about. Pay attention to this statement: that they might know thee, the only true God. All right. So there is a God that's called the only true God. Which God is that? Okay. And Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So let me let me read this again, so you understand. All right. Because we're going to build. This is a foundational scripture that we're going to build this Bible study today on, and this. I'm just going to tell you that this this Bible study is probably more than likely, it's a great possibility that it will go over the time. And if it does, then I'll let you know and uh, within 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes after, uh, the program will be in the archives. But this is a very important topic, and I need to, to go over several scriptures to help you understand who or what God is and what does that have to do with you. All right, so... Uh, verse 3 of John chapter 17 and this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou has sent so who is the only true God we're going to find that out today ladies and gentlemen we certainly will find that out today now Let's understand one thing. Let's understand one thing, and, and, and I'm going to break this down as we go along. God, or Elohim, consists of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach, Hakodesh or the Holy Spirit. And so, they are not a trinity, but... God chooses to identify himself in three different ways. That's the easiest way that I can explain it, all right? Now, in, here's another foundational scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 6 to 7, I'm reading this in the complete Jewish Bible version, but in the King James Version, it's pretty clear as well. It says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things come. That is the only true God, God the Father, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Yeshua the Messiah. That's you know, that's Jesus Christ or Yeshua the Messiah, whom through whom were created all things, and through whom we have our being. And this is interesting. It states here, but not everyone has his knowledge. And believe me, I know that not everyone understands that the only true God is the Father. It's not the Son. It's the Father. All right from whom all things come and for whom we exist and one Lord, Yeshua, the Messiah, through whom were created all things. But not everyone has this knowledge, and that's true. Not everyone has this knowledge. And if Jews understood this, it would be a lot easier for them to accept that Yeshua is the Messiah because in Christianity, what do they teach? They teach that Yeshua is the only true God. But Yeshua himself stated that the only true God, his Father, is his God. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you these things. I'm going to show you these things. Now, Proverbs 30, verse 4 plainly states this, Who has gone up to the heavens and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? That's one being. And what is his son's name? That's another being, if you know it. Now, if you want to use your, the brain that God has given you, and I'm trying to offend you, but we, we need to do that. We can't be simple-minded or silly or foolish, okay? Let's use our brain. The father and son relationship, is that a relationship of one being or two beings? That's a relationship of two beings. Let's use our common sense here. Where do we get the concept of family from? We got it from the father and the son, okay? The father is one being, the son is another, and when the and the son does look like his father and act like his father, or supposed to anyway, all right. So, so that that's the way it is. So I, I'm just I'm just trying to to uh, really help you to understand something basic. Now, a friend of mine gave me these series of scriptures. I'm going to go ahead and quote these scriptures in the series, but I'm going to also add on to these scriptures as well, all right, to give you a complete picture of who God is, all right. So, John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 18. This is in the, uh, the, uh, the Renewed Covenant or, or New Testament. That's what most of the world understand the book to be. The New Testament, uh, John 1, verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. This is the, the only true God that, that Jesus spoke about in John 17, verse 3. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father. Okay, so here we go again. We have a separation here of beings. Okay? The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, which is another being, he has declared him. Okay? So John 5. So he's saying that, that no man has ever seen the only true God. And so, what does that mean? That means that the God that was spoken of in the Old Testament had to be another Elohim. Who was that? We're going to find that out today. So hold your place here, though. I want to go back to Exodus. Exodus 23, verse 20. God is saying here, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Verse 21, uh, angel means messenger. And the Messiah is called a messenger, by the way. Uh, Verse 21, Behold, or beware of him, and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. That is, now, that's a key scripture here. He's saying that there's this, this powerful angel, this messenger. And the only true God's name is in him. All right, I want you to understand that his name is in him. In other words, his name is associated with him. He's also called God. He represents God. He's God's representative. Who is that? We will find out. Verse 22. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thy enemies and an adversary unto thy adversaries. Okay. So the Messiah is spoken of in Malachi as a messenger because this this Greek word is, ma- is malach, it means messenger. And so let me prove to you that the Messiah is the messenger of the Father. And this is in Malachi. Malachi chapter three. Yes. Malachi chapter three, verse one. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way for me. That's talking about Elihu or John the Baptist and it's talking about the future Elihu. Uh and that that is more that let me try to, What am I trying to say? That's more than likely alive right now. I don't know for sure, but it's a great possibility. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. And so the Messiah, one of his nicknames is the messenger or the angel of the covenant. That's the same Hebrew word that was used in Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. All right. So he is the messenger of the Lord He is the messenger of the Lord Another uh, key verse to understand Who uh, the messenger of the Lord is he's, a, he's, a, he's an angel, he's called an angel And Joshua 5 verse 14 Actually, verse 13, Joshua 5, verse 13. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Thou art for us, or for our adversaries? Verse 14, and he said, Nay, but captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come. And so this, this being was, is captain of the host of the Lord. And I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What says my Lord unto his servant, captain of the Lord's host, said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So this being identified himself as the captain, the captain of the host of the Lord. So he wasn't the Lord, but he was the captain of the host of the Lord. But I want you to notice something that he was also worthy of worship as the Father. Who is this being? Keep in mind in verse 18 of John, it states plainly, states plainly that no one has seen the father now either you want to believe what the scriptures say or you believe what you want to believe but it says right here in verse 18 of John chapter 1 no man has seen God at any time at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he has declared him all right John chapter 5 verse 37 states plainly and the father himself which has sent me so you have one being the father And and this being sent, Jesus, are you sure? Has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. So now he adds the fact that at this time in the first century, no one heard his voice at any time nor seen his face. So certainly back in Old Testament times, no one heard his voice. And, of course, no one has ever seen his shape, clearly, no one, all right? So the God of the Old Testament could not have been the only true God, the Father, ladies and gentlemen, based on Yeshua, Yeshua's plain statement. John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 46, not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God, he has seen the Father. Here we go again. So who was the God of the Old Testament? Couldn't have been the Father, right? John chapter 7. It's, it was the angel. It was the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, the messenger of the covenant. It was the Messiah. That's who it was. It had to be. John chapter 7, verse 28 to 29. Then cried Jesus in the temple, as he taught, saying, You both know me and know where I am. And that's a that's a... Idiom for heaven, and that's another Bible study, but anyway. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me another being sent him is true whom you know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. So the Messiah is from the Father, which is another interesting Bible study. But, you know, I'll get that other Bible study in the future. But but anyway, he said he's from him. Um, John chapter 8, verse 19. says, Then said they unto them, Where is thy father? Yeshua answered, You neither know me nor my father. So again, there's two separate beings. If ye had known me, you should have known my father also. All right? For those people that are teaching incorrectly that the father morphs into the son and the son morphs into the father in one being, they don't know what they're talking about. They are very confused. need to pray for them. Uh, and so but there's another scripture down here that we need to add to john 8 verse 54 jesus answered if i honor myself my my honor is nothing it is my father that honors me again two separate beings of whom you say there is he is your god verse 55 yet you have not known him but i know him see one of the reasons why he came too is to reveal who the father is because they didn't know him it's like he said you don't know him they didn't know him Yet you have not known him, but I know him, and if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his saying. And so that's what the messenger of the covenant does, the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, he keeps his father's saying. Because hold your place here. Another scripture that proves the two separate beings. Revelation chapter one, verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. So if they're two If they're one being, how can he get revelation to himself? I mean, it says the revelation revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. So God gives him revelation, gives him knowledge to give to us. All right? So let's go back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 55, yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I should be a liar. I should be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his saying. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Okay, so this is a very significant series of verses here. Verse 57, then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham or Abraham? And verse 58, Jesus said to them, Yes, verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. I am. Remember, in Exodus 23, verse 20, it said that the angel of the Lord had the Father's name in him. He was the I am. That he spoke of here. Yeshua. Jesus. In his pre-existent form. Verse 59. Then he took... They took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and and so passed by. So when Moses talked to a being that identified himself as I am, that was Yeshua. For further proof of this, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. Verse 2 and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, verse 3, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. It wasn't the Father, it was the Son. Verse 4 tells you that. And the the rock that followed them was Yeshua, the Messiah. That's what it says here. And in verse 9, it says, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and was destroyed of the serpent. So I've showed you enough scriptures to prove my point, but I'm, con- I'm going to continue to quote scriptures here. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 44. John 12, verse 44. Jesus cried and said, he that believes on me, believes not on me, but on him that sent me. Again, two separate beings, 45. And he that sees me, see of him that sent me. Verse forty six, and that's the scripture that people get confused on. When they see that, they think that God morphs into one being to the other. But I'm going to explain what that means, what what the the Messiah, how he interpreted it in John chapter seventeen. He interpreted what he meant by that. But anyway, um, John chapter fourteen, John chapter fourteen, beginning in verse seven, it says, "If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and for henceforth you know him and have seen him." So what is he saying here? Well, in verse nine, he says, "Have I been so long time with you, and yet has not, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how says you, show us the Father?" And then they stop there and they say, "Oh, wait a minute, the Father is the son, and the son is a Father." <laughs> no, but you gotta go. You gotta look at the rest of it. Verse ten: "Believe thou not that I am in the Father. That's how he's interpreting how." If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. If you just listen to what he's saying here and pay attention, verse 10. Believe thou not that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. So that's how he can say that you've seen the Father because the Father's essence, his spirit, dwells in him, the Son. And he dwells in the Father. Believe thou not that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. So that's the biblical interpretation of saying that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works, okay? And then in in, in verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Now, he explains this in detail here in in John chapter 17. Well, before we get into that, there's a scripture that people are very confused about, John chapter 10, verse 30. It says I and my father one and then when they read that, oh okay, they're one being and um they just morph back and forth and, you know, they presto it. Let me read something from <laughs> this uh, commentary that does that, a that better job than, than I would as far as explaining what I'm trying to explain here. It says um uh, says the Bible does not teach modelism, M O D. A L I S M which says that God appears sometimes as a father Sometimes as the Son and sometimes as the Holy Spirit, like an actor changing masks. Okay, so that that's what that is a, a horrible false doctrine that's being preached today, and we need to to get off that, folks. Okay, we need to see how the Messiah defined how uh, I, Him and His Father are one. Okay. Now let's let's, let's hear what what they said. So when He said that. The Jews were ready to pick up stones and to stone him. Now, why? Why? Let's let's look at this. As people read John 10, verse 30, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. They'll read John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one, and then, they, okay, that's it. They're one being, and they just morph back and forth. And in John 10, verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. In verse 32, Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? Okay, so here we go again. If he's one being, why does he keep on pointing, trying to point everybody to his father? Anyway, verse 33. The Jews answered, if God is one being. um, And then the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Now, I want you to notice something here. He said, I and my father are one. And he says, Thou being a man, you make it myself God, because he said that. Okay? So, let, let's understand the dilemma here. Uh, so, how is he one with the Father, who is called the only true God? All right, well, let's look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Beginning in verse 1, he said, These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. So again, we have two separate beings here. Verse 2, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So not only is there two separate beings, but there's certainly indication here that this being that's giving everything to him obviously must be more powerful than he is. And uh, there's scriptures to prove that in verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. So here again, two separate beings. Verse 5, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee, two separate beings again, with thee, before the world was. (laughs) I mean, this is so plain. John chapter 17 explains to you what he meant by one. I and the Father are one. Echad, in Hebrew. That's what it means. Alright, and I'm going to show you in verse 21, he defines what one is. He defines what Echad is. That verse 20. John 17, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Verse 21. That they all may be one as thou, Father, are in me, and I in thee. So he's comparing the assembly, the ecclesia, the church. He's comparing the church being one as he is with the Father. So that ought to shed light on what he meant by being one. He didn't mean they were one being. They're one in unity. That's what he meant. All right? That they all may be one as thou, they, meaning the church, the assembly, the believers of God, that they all may be one. Now, let me ask you a simple question, a simple common sense question. Is the body of Christ, which is the assembly, are they all one being? Of course not. Okay? So let's let's use a common sense. That they all may be one as thou, Father, are in me. And I and Z. So that is the Bible definition of John 10, verse 30, when he says, I and my Father are one. He means in unity. Now, are you going to believe Yeshua's words, or are you going to make up your own stuff? That's the challenge that I have for you, and that's the challenge that God has for you as well. So that all may be one, as thou, Father, are in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Us. He calls himself and the Father us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. That's what he means, folks. Verse 23. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. ehad One. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and has loved them as thou hast loved me. Okay. So that is the definition. That is the definition of what Yeshua meant when he said, I and the Father are one. is a very, very simple definition. And either you're going to believe what the Bible says about this, or you're you simply uh, going to believe it, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, it's, it's, it's there in the Bible. This, this is all in the Bible. And if you want to understand even the deep things of God, even the, think, the the deep things of God, then it's in here for you to want to understand. If you want to understand it. All right? If you want to understand it. Okay, so I've explained that to you, uh, the Messiah's definition of what he meant when he said, "I and the Father are one," he meant he didn't mean they were one being. Back and forth and say, "Oh, I'm the Father. Ooh, I'm back. Oh, I'm the Son." No, he meant that they are one in unity, and he proved that by giving a definition of what he meant by one in John chapter seventeen, verse twenty-one to twenty-three, because he compared the the oneness of the of of his Father, him and his Father, with the oneness that the Church should have. Alright, and we we know full well that the church, the assembly, is not one being. Alright, so let's understand that. And and you need to jot this down, John 10 verse 30, and then John 17 verse 21 to 23, which will give you the interpretation of what he meant when he said, I and my Father are one. Alright, so that should help you to understand that. God consists of Three prefers to reveal himself in three different ways. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to get into what the Holy Spirit is in this program later on. But anyway, getting back to our investigation here. So, we understand that, that truth, and I'm going to go further because there's some people are just stubborn and they just want to believe false doctrine. And so I'm going to really prove to you that the Father and the Son are, are two separate beings. But first of all, let's understand this. Yeshua, Jesus, is the Word of God, and He is God because He is the Word of God. The Word of God became flesh and lived with mankind. That's in John chapter 1, verse 14. The Father created the universe by the Word of Yah. That's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. He created everything by Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Starting in verse 1. God who has sundry times and in various manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets have in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. All right. And he says, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person. He's the image of the Father. And an image is not the original. All right? And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So here we go again. He sat, he's sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high, which is another name for the only true God, the Father. All right? So... Let's understand that, and right here in verse 8, the father speaks to his son, and this is found in Psalm 45, it's a direct quote from that, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, but unto the son, he says, the only true God, the father says to his son, thy throne, O God, so he calls the son, O God, God means Elohim, mighty judge, mighty one, okay, and so he is a mighty one, he is the express image of the father. But unto the Father he says, Thy throne or God is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness as a scepter of thy kingdom. Verse nine. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, therefore God, thy God. So here's the only true God, the Father, is saying that the Son has a God and is him, the Father. So it's, therefore God, even thy God, has anointed thee with oil of gladness above thy fellows, and he calls him Lord. The Father calls his son God and he calls him Lord. As, as Exodus chapter twenty three verse twenty states plainly that the angel, the messenger, his angel, which is Yeshua himself, has his name in him, and this proves it right here. Verse ten, and thou Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. You remain, and they all shall wax old as off a garment all right so again it should become a clear picture to you if you want to believe what the scriptures are indicating that uh, and here here's another scripture in John John chapter 20 um, and I'm going to read this after his resurrection for people to say well the reason why there's a there's a difference uh, a separation there father and son because you're a human being well you're not a human being anymore in this in this case right here in John chapter 20, verse 17, this is when he was resurrected. Uh, actually, I'll start in verse 16 to get the context. It says, Jesus, John chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Raboni, which is to say, Master. Verse 17, Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. Again, there, he's, he's resurrected, so he can't use the excuse. He has a spiritual body now spiritual realm of the kingdom of God now, which uh, there's no flesh and blood, okay? Uh, earthly flesh, corruptible flesh. Jesus said to her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. So he still has a father and he's resurrected here. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God And your God. So he still has a God being resurrected with a spiritual body, ladies and gentlemen. That's what your Bible says, that he has a God. You can go and and fuss all you want, but it's right there in the scriptures. Okay, and here's another scripture that people just don't want to believe. Um, But I'm going to quote it. This is found in uh, John chapter 14, verse 28. And this is a plain statement in red letters in the King James Version. He says, John 14, verse twenty. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. The Father is greater than him, ladies and gentlemen. So that's what your scriptures say. Now, do you want to believe your scriptures, or do you want to believe what you want to believe? Alright, so that, that, is, that is that is the test for you. Do you want to believe what you want to believe? Or do you want to believe what the scriptures state? Okay. So, that's that's your test. He says that the Father is greater than him. Now, over in Revelation, because he, he does identify again and state that he, he has a God. And this is a vision of him in heaven. And he still states he has a God. In Revelation 3, verse 12. Him that overcome will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. So he's saying that he still has a God himself. And here he is. This is a vision of him in heaven. The home of God, right? And he says, of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Okay, so folks, you know, I've I've proven this to you, that Yeshua is God, but how is he God? He's God because God the Father gave him that title. God means Elohim, mighty judge. And at the beginning of my program, God's potential for mankind is to make us Elohim, mighty ones, just like the Son. The son is not going to be the only son of God. That is the potential of man. So, but there's going to be one top God that's above all of us, and that's the only true God, the Father. He wants a family, and he's going to get a family, ladies and gentlemen. So, getting back to proving that they are two separate beings. And, and another thing to understand what the Holy Spirit is, um, the Holy Spirit doesn't have a throne, folks. Uh, Revelation 22, verse 1. And he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of Elohim and of the Lamb. The Lamb is, of course, the Son, and Elohim is the only true God. But they both shared his throne. Where's the Holy Spirit? That's something that you need to to question very uh, seriously. Now, Yeshua also has a God, and His God is the Father who is over everyone, including Yeshua. Uh, That's easily proved. John 10, verse 29, states that, um, a, a significant statement here, John 10, verse 29, states plainly, My Father which gave me is greater than all, even Yeshua Himself. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28, is another scripture that uh, is important, states, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. That's the goal, folks. Uh, God the Father wants to dwell in everyone. So we'll all be one. Ehot. Ehod. All of mankind will be Ehod. That's the goal. That is the goal, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be unified. Now, we will all be one being and all call God, but we will be one with the top God, the mightiest God of all, the only true God, the head of all the other Elohims, all the other sons of God, with the Messiah, the second most powerful being in the universe, as his uh, representative. So that, that is the goal, ladies and gentlemen. That's his goal. Now, the Father and the Son are two separate beings. as proved by the following scriptures, okay? Uh, I've read some of these already, but in Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5, I have 2 minutes and 39 seconds left, so um, I will continue this program probably for another 30 minutes or 45 minutes, and then after uh, I get through you'll be able to listen to this very, very important program in the archives. Okay? So let me continue on with the program here. And where am I at here? Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. It states, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written, within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Now, who is the one sitting on the throne? Now, people have said, well, God does not have any form. Well, have just stated that you have never seen his form <laughs> or his face. So obviously he has a face and he has a form based on what the Messiah told you. Okay, so to stop listening to people and know what they're talking about. We have to go by what the Bible says. And the Messiah said you have never, never seen his shape nor his countenance. All right, so obviously he has a face and he has a shape. Proved by Revelation 5 verse 1. He says, "I saw in the right hand of Him that sat on the throne." So he has a he has a hand. You got to understand, if he's the image of the invisible God, and it doesn't mean that the Father is a ghost. He can be seen if he wants to be, because he will be seen in the future by everyone. He does have a form, and so uh, and then actually Revelation chapter four gives you somewhat of a glimpse of what he could look like, but it's still not a clear image. We, no, no one has ever seen him. Totally for who he is and what he looks like. But anyway, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a a throne was set in heaven, and and one sat on the throne, in verse 3. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. So this is the Father, and this is the closest that anyone has ever gotten to actually getting a, a sense of what he could look like. But he still wasn't a clear vision to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow around about the throne and sighted upon, like unto an emerald. And so that this is the father on the throne. The reason why I notice I have 18 seconds left, so I'm going to be going off the air here. I'm going to continue on in recording, and I should be done within 30 to 45 minutes, and then you should be able to access the, the program within an hour. Shalom. Se- session of this program. So I'm going to go back to... Revelation chapter four, we're we're getting a somewhat of a description of what the Father could look like here, based on the revelation here. And in verse five, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So the Holy Spirit consists of seven spirits. It's around the throne, but it does not have a throne, and doesn't sit on the throne. Okay. Verse 6, and before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal and in the midst of the throne, and around about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Okay? And so, getting back to Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. All right, so verse 7 is a pivotal verse to prove, put the icing on the cake about whether or not God, the Father and God the Son are one being. Verse 7, and he came, okay, wait, in verse 6, verse 6, and and I beheld, Revelation 5, verse 6, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst, in the middle of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it has been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So the Holy Spirit has something to do with the Messiah, and you're going to see how soon, all right? They they, they 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 work hand in hand together, the, the Holy Spirit and the Messiah. And you're going to see here why soon. Verse 7, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Let me read that scripture to you again. He, the Lamb, the Messiah, came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. This, without a shadow of a doubt, proves that the Father and the Son are to separate beings. Again, verse 7, and he came, that's the Messiah, the Lamb, who was in the middle of the, uh, midst of the throne, okay, and he he was standing, alright, he wasn't sitting down like like the the one that's sitting on the throne, that had the book, he was standing up in the middle of the throne, alright, and verse 7, and he came and took the book, the one standing in the middle of the throne, he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that was sitting on the throne. Okay? So I don't want to hear any more arguments, folks. People want to argue that they're just being silly and foolish. All right? And and the Bible tells us not to be that way. Let's not be simple-minded. Okay. So let's get back to, I mean, that that should be it, basically. Uh, I've, I've quoted other scriptures to prove to you that they're two separate beings. Um. And Psalm one ten verse one proves it again. Uh, Psalm one ten verse one. <clears throat> Psalm one ten verse one. It says, "A Psalm of David. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool." The Messiah sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father, ladies and gentlemen. That which proves again, uh, Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter one, verse seventeen to twenty-three. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, here we go again, <laughs> he has a God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1 verse 17, again, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in his saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So this being the only true God raised the Messiah from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Okay? For above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name, that is named not only in this world but also in, in, in the which is to come, and has put all things under his feet. The Father put all things under the Messiah's feet, two separate beings, and gave him to be the head over all things to be the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Okay, so again, folks, the Scriptures tell you that God, the Father, and the Son are two separate beings. There's no denying that if you want to believe what the Scriptures indicate. Okay? Um, another thing, too. Revelation 3, verse 21. They have two... The Messiah shares His Father's throne, but He has His own throne. In Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 21, To Him that overcome will I grant to sit with me in my throne, This is, of course, the messages to the churches or the assemblies. And in red letters, Yeshua is talking to John. And he says, to him that overcome will I grant to sit with me in my throne, And his throne. What is his throne, ladies and gentlemen? I'll turn to a scripture here to reveal that to you in a minute. Even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. So he sits with his father in his throne to the right, to his right hand. All right. But he also has a throne. Now, again, the Holy Spirit doesn't have a throne. But the Messiah has a throne and the Father has a throne. So again, there's two separate beings. And what is the throne that Yeshua will be sitting on in the future because right now he's sharing his father's throne, but he has his own throne. That's found in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 32. He shall be great Luke 1, verse 32, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So that is his throne. That's not the father's throne. That's the son's throne. Okay. All right. So another scripture that I know many may be confused with when they see, and I need to address this immediately, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Because in light of all the scriptures that we have already looked at, we have to interpret this based on the other scriptures. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And people will see that one scripture and said, okay, he's the father too. Ah. Okay, all let right. right, let's... let's use our brains again, all right, yes, use our brains and understand something. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Shaul helps us out a little bit to understand what the prophet Isaiah meant under the inspiration of God when he stated that he's the everlasting father. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. And so, it is written, the first man, Adam, or Adam, was made a living soul. Alright? The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Now, Adam is truly the father of mankind, right? But, the last Adam is the Messiah. He was made a quickening spirit. So, the last Adam is a father to us as well and he is an everlasting father because he will never die and so that's the way to understand that remember that the father is calling a bride for his son the assembly of god which is revealed in ephesians let's turn to ephesians chapter 5 ephesians chapter 5 ephesians chapter 5 verse 31 For this cause... Let's let's go in verse 30. Ephesians 5, verse 30. For we are members of his body. And this is talking about the believers are the body of Messiah. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Ehot. Okay? And so the the marriage relationship, the family relationship is symbolic of the God family. God is creating a family. All right. And the reason why I know this because in verse thirty two it says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so there there's something to do with the earthly relationship between a husband and wife. There's something to do it has something to do with the relationship of the Messiah and the assembly. Now, in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 44, it states plainly, No man can come to me, no man can come to the Messiah except the Father which has sent me draw him and influence him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so what the Father is doing, of Abraham, that's how Abraham is the type of God the Father. Abraham, as you remember, did not want Isaac to take a wife of the Canaanites, alright, so or the other pagan nations. He had his assistant, because he, wanted to, he, he would probably would have did it if he was healthy, but he had his assistant on his behalf find a wife for Isaac. Well, that's what God is doing right now for his son, He's finding a bride for his son. That bride is the assembly, the church. And just like when uh, Abraham was picky about the type of wife that Isaac has have, God is picky about the type of wife his Messiah has. When I mean by picky, uh, would a reasonable husband marry a wife that's not going to obey him? No. So, so of course, the father's going to draw people that he knows uh, make up, whatever he knows best, to to be able to obey him and his son. And that's what he's doing right now. Right now, he's calling a bride for his son. And once this bride consummates the marriage, which is in Revelation 19, verse 7, the, the, uh, the marriage has come and the wife has made herself ready. Right now, the wife still has to make herself ready. Then what's, what do you think is going to happen when they consummate the marriage? they will have children. But it'll be in a spiritual way. We're talking about in the spiritual plane. Alright? So let let's understand that. That that's the entire plan of God there. He's looking for a wife for a son, bride, which is the first fruits, uh from Abel all the way down until the the last righteous person before he comes back. They are all considered the first fruits. Um and James chapter one proves this. James chapter one verse eighteen. It states plainly that of his own will beget beget he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits unto his creatures. And so um, those that that have the Holy Spirit in them, they have the firstfruits of the Spirit. Um, That's found in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the firstfruits of the Spirit, all right, And let's remember that it states in this chapter, too, that those who have the spirit of Messiah, which included the prophets and all the holy men and women, uh, the, proof, the for proof of that, let's turn to 1 Peter. Well, I already proved that to you, that they all drunk of the same spiritual drink and so forth, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Messiah which was in them, and that's, and that's key. The Spirit of Messiah and the Spirit and the Holy Spirit are synonymous. All right? The Spirit of Messiah, that's the reason why you don't see a throne for the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit of Messiah is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right, so First Peter 1, verse 11, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Messiah, which was in them, did signify, which had testified beforehand, the sufferings of, of Christ and the glory that should follow. All right? So, um, and the scripture states in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, that those that have the spirit of Messiah will be changed into spirit beings, or they'll have spiritual bodies. And so, verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves, grown with ourselves, waiting for adoption to with the redemption of our body. Okay? And Romans 8, verse 9, states, but ye are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, so the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ is the same, the spirit of Messiah. He is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead. Christ being in you is having a Holy Spirit in you. All right. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. Okay, and the one that raised up Messiah, I just read to you, is the Father. Is the Father. Okay, so I'm hoping you understand. You're getting a clear picture of the nature of God here. So, and you understand who the Father is now, because those who understand the Father are drawn to the true Messiah. And then Matthew 11 verse 27. I'm reading this in the Amplified Version. It says, All things have been entrusted and delivered to me by my Father, and no one fully knows and accurately understands the Son except the Father. And no one fully and accurately understands the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son deliberately wills to make him known. And in Luke 10, verse 22, All things have been given over into my power by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son, anyone to whom the Son may choose to reveal and make him known. And so the Son makes known the Father, and those who truly know the Son know that the Father is separate from him, and the Son and the Father is his God. All right? So I hope this is becoming plain to you, and I hope that you you are starting to get a clear vision and picture of the nature of God. I'm doing the best I can to do that, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, now the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> what is the Holy Spirit, right? Well, John four verse twenty four, the Amplified Bible, says God is a spirit. So God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now in Second Corinthians chapter three verse seventeen and eighteen in the Scriptures version of the Bible, it says, "Now God is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom." And we all, as with unveiled face, we see in a mirror the esteem of God are being transformed into the same likeness from esteem as from God the Spirit, okay? So the Spirit of God is God because it comes from God, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to show that to you here in a minute. Revelation 1, verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which us and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So the Holy Spirit consists of seven spirits. And uh, Revelation 4, verse 1 to 5, I'm going to read this to you, and it's in the Amplified Version. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard addressing me like the calling of a war trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place in the future. At once I came under the Holy Spirit's power, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. Now, the Holy Spirit in Hebrew means Ruach HaKadish. At once I came out of the Holy Spirit's power, and behold, so the Holy Spirit has power, okay? That's God's power. A throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there appeared like the crystalline brightness of Jasper and a fiery Sardis. And encircling the throne there was a halo that looked like a rainbow of emerald. Twenty-four other thrones surrounding the throne, and seated on these thrones were twenty-four elders, I guess this is the member, the members of the heavenly Sanhedrin arrayed in white clothing with crowns of gold upon their heads. Out from the throne came flashes, of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven blazing churches burned, which are the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is pictured as being around God's throne and the Messiah manages the Holy Spirit because it's his spirit. Uh. Revelation 11, verse 2, not Revelation, Isaiah 11, verse 2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and, and the fear of the Lord. So the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is multifaceted. All right? Revelation 5, verse 6. And there between the throne and the four living creatures, beings among the elders of the heavenly Sanhedrin, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes. What are the seven eyes of the Messiah? Symbolically, which are the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has everything to do with the Spirit of Messiah. The Spirit of Messiah and the Holy Spirit are the same. Who have been sent on duty far and wide into all the earth. The rural Calcadish is the Spirit of, of God and His power. Luke chapter one, verse thirty five. Alright. The Rural Calcadish comes from the Father, John fifteen, verse twenty six. Let me read that to you. John 15, verse 26. John 15, verse 26. Says, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. So the the, the 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 Holy Spirit comes from the Father, and the Son receives the Holy Spirit, and he sends it to us. That's how you understand what the Holy Spirit is. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. So the Holy Spirit comes from the Father, and it's called the Spirit of Truth which proceeds from the Father. So it comes from the Father, it proceeds from the Father to the Son, and the Son gives it to whoever he chooses to give, to his Father commands to give it to. He shall testify of me. The reason why it's talked like it's another being because it's, it's, it's from God. It's an extension of him. That's what it is, the Holy Spirit. And it's the spirit of the Messiah, because the Bible indicates that as well. The Father gives a royal Halkadis to Yeshua to give to his believers. I just said that. John 16, verse 7. John 16, verse 7. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. I just told you that. He sends it. Those seven eyes that he has symbolically are, are the seven spirits. And he sends those spirits out into the earth. He's responsible for that. Okay? John 16, verse 7. Jesus has God raised up, again, two separate beings, where we all are witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God, so he's by the right hand of God, the only true God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the Father gives the Holy Spirit to the Messiah. He has shed forth this which you now see and hear. Okay? So again, that, that explains what i am been trying to explain to you. Please pay attention to this. Galatians 4, verse 6. Galatians 4, verse 6. I don't think you're going to get this teaching from too many people. Galatians 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son. There we go. He has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The, the spirit that comes from the Father is the spirit his is, is the father's spirit but also his son's spirit because they are one, right? They're Ikod, right? And he said he came from the Father, right? <laughs> so let let's get it all together. He said he comes from the Father. Are you getting this here? All right. And so in verse six, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying Abba Father now, the Father has a spirit and the Son has a spirit. But they're one. Their, their spirits are both one. Ehad and in unity. All right. Galatians four verse six. Galatians four verse six. I already read that to you. And then Philippians one verse nineteen. Philippians one verse nineteen. Philippians one verse nineteen. States plainly: For I know that this shall turn to. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ and the Spirit uh, of Yah I wanted the same, the same. Peter one verse eleven, John fourteen verse twenty six to twenty seven, John fourteen verse twenty six to twenty seven, John fourteen twenty six to twenty seven says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And so again, the Holy Spirit is sent. It comes from the Father but is sent in the name of the Messiah. All right? That's the reason why the Spirit of Messiah is the Spirit of God. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And that, he means what he means. So, to simplify, the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. Yeshua has the Spirit of his Father. Came from the Father. And if we have the, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, then we have the Spirit of the Father and the Son in us. John 14, verse 20 to 23. John 17, verse 21. John 17, verse 21. It says that they all may be one as thou, Father, in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, and they may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. First John one verse three. First John one verse three. It says that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. Okay? And see that that's that's very important for you to understand. And there's another scripture that uh you need to understand too, if I can find it here. So so um, we have to understand that that relationship the Father wants to have with us all through his Son. And he wants to be one with us. He wants to be one with us. And uh, he will be one with us. I'm trying to find this one scripture here, see if I can find it here. Um see and so again I hope that you have of um how the father and the son are one and uh, this it's totally explained in John chapter seventeen verses twenty one to twenty three and uh, if you just want to believe what the Bible says, then uh, it's, it tells you plainly what that means when he says that I and the Father are one. So, I hope you understand that, and uh, I'm doing the best I can to uh, explain this to you. But anyway, um, can't find this scripture. See, I'm trying to find it, but um, I know it's here somewhere. I just got to just quote it some other time, uh, for lack of time here. So, but anyway, um, getting back to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit consists of seven spirits. The royal call is part of the Father and, and the Son, because everything comes from the Father anyway, so... All right, so you should understand that, that uh, the nature of God here, and uh, hopefully, I uh, hope that you understand the concept of one. And to, See, this is back in Genesis, too, um, and this is a good way to uh, close this program. Uh, Genesis, Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26, states plainly, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Now notice, he said, let us. So this is God speaking, Elohim, and he's saying, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the, the fowl of the air. And so God is identifying himself as being multifaceted as early as the first chapter of Genesis. All right, And so that's, that's the thing you have to understand as well. Um, but how are they one? Well, they're one because you have two beings, and one of them is in, uh, in subjection to the other. That's how they're one. And then John 6, verse 57, it says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So Yeshua stated plainly, he, he lives, and he lives because of the Father. <laughs> so he says, so, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And so he lives because of the Father. That means his father is greater than him, and that means, of course, that his father is God, the only true God. The Father and Yeshua are one in unity. However, they are two separate beings. Additionally, Elohim desires for his followers to be one in unity, just like the Father and the Son. So that, that's plain. So, to recap, the scriptures reveal that Yeshua is the image of God. And so if he's the image of God, that's like when you look at yourself in a mirror, your image of yourself is, is, is not the original, right? Well, Yeshua is the image of God. God the Father is greater than Yeshua. God the Father is Yeshua's God. Yeshua lives because of God the Father. God the Father calls his son God. Okay? And in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, he says, But I want you to know and realize that Christ is the head of every man, The head of a woman is the husband, and the head of Christ is God. Two separate beings. The Messiah is second in command. He has a God he obeys, and that God is the Father. Remember, Elohim is plural, and it means God's mighty ones. Yeshua is the Word of God and is an Elohim. However, he is not Elohim the Father. He is Elohim the Son. And in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5 to 6 again, it says, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, the only true God, identified in John 17, verse 3, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. All right? And that's the Bible definition. I know it may be difficult for you to understand, but it's all here for you to see. It's all here for you to see. All right? So... I hope you understand the nature of God. And God is not a trinity. It's not three god three persons in one god because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the Messiah which comes from the Father, right? So that's that's what your Bible and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of of the Father, the Son and it's also the power of God. And the Messiah is responsible for sending that Holy Spirit out to do his wonder work, his spirit, his essence. So that's the important thing that uh, you must understand. All right, here we go. John 14, verse 23. That's the scripture I was trying to find. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. That's spiritually. So the spirit of the Father and the Son will be in us, in us, and dwell in us if we obey him. Okay? So that's what I want you to understand. So I I tried to break this down. I could go further in further detail, but I've given you scriptural proof of who the Father is, who the Son is, and who the Holy Spirit is. And uh, if you have any further questions, feel free to email me at canard at mercifulservantsofgod.com That's canard at mercifulservantsofgod.com And may Yah bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch.